You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the conservative conscience here at Conservative Review, your one-stop shop for truth-telling, focus, and priorities in true traditional conservatism. It is Thursday, and it's actually a very special day. We're going to talk about it a little bit today because it is the anniversary of the Doolittle Raid when we fought back against the Japanese, revenge for the bombing of Pearl Harbor. We would not have any foreign attacks or influence on our nation. We were a proud sovereign nation at that time. I think it's very appropriate for today, given that today is Mueller Day. Now, as you well know, The whole Mueller saga over the last two years has been a curse for me. And, you know, in my view, it's a curse for the country, aside from the obvious reasons that I think everyone in this audience agrees. It's the fact that it has single-handedly distracted from everything going on. I mean, you could literally have an army blatantly invade our country tomorrow, and it won't matter because of Mueller news. We said this a couple of weeks ago when the Mueller report was finished, but the text wasn't out and he got the summary from the attorney general or like, man, okay, could we finally end it? But now there's the text and then there's going to be a text of the text and a response to that. This is never going to end. That's my concern. This is never, ever going to, to end at all. And I'm not sure what we do about that. But I'll tell you, nothing about Mueller matters if we don't have a nation state. If the left is changing that Overton window of what is acceptable in our economy, our politics, our society so quickly, not just in an aspirational way, but in actuality, the best way to change a nation is to actually change it. They don't talk about policies. They literally orchestrate an invasion of of over a million illegals a year and make it irrevocable. And it just drives me nuts. Obviously, you have the people on the left that earned a living off of this. That that makes a lot of sense. Where they could just lie their way through this whole Mueller business, knowing that ultimately... By the time they're disproven, they'll be on to the next thing and never have to pay a price for it. But likewise, there were people on the other side, on the right side, that have no vision, have no understanding of policy, of politics in in a way that actually matters to this country, and they needed to earn a living, and they made an entire living off of their hot takes. So I could get on today and talk about, oh, this, I, I have my hot take on this sentence of the Mueller report. You know, everyone's coming through it. The left will have their stuff. The right will have their stuff. 
but I know you tuned in today. But the fact that you're tuning into this show, you know you're going to get this elsewhere. You want to hear the stuff that you're not going to hear elsewhere. So I want to push off of Mueller Day in two ways. There's two, two things that I think are important. Not directly about the report because there's really nothing important in it. But two, two lessons to learn. Number one, obviously, what you see from the left is that they don't believe in the constitutional checks and balances prescribed in the Constitution. So therefore, they make up new ones. They don't use the ones that are there, so they want to make up new ones. And what you're seeing with Mueller ties into immigration because the point is, notice, basically, their contention at this point is that the administration engaged in politics. Trump had profanity-laced uh, tirades against Mueller and his probe and everything. So as a president, you're not allowed to even, you know, engage in politics. You're not allowed to direct your own Department of Justice. That's basically what it's boiled down to. But there's, there's profundity to that because you see that on other issues. Democrats basically believe that there are two branches of government that matter. Number one, the lowest common denominator of the most progressive judge they could find on a given issue. And number two, unelected and unknown and un, you know, even people that don't stand for Senate confirmation in the executive branch that could decide whatever they want. And really, obviously, the president, through his direction to his Senate-confirmed cabinet, the high officers that are referenced in the Constitution, they control, and the president ultimately controls the executive branch, lock, stock, and barrel. That is, that is clear. So there's no... Hey, you know, you're, you're being mean to the investigators. You control the investigators. Now, what do you mean? Is the president a king? No. I mean, if Congress wanted, they could use the power of the purse to shut him down. They could pass new statutes. They can engage in aggressive oversight. Obviously, you have elections. And, well, the thing is, that takes guts because, you know, if you're going to have a budget brinkmanship over, you know, for example, defunding a certain action of the president in the Department of Justice, well, you know, you would have some sort of risk of a government shutdown and you would have to vouch for what you're doing. Well, it's a lot easier to permanently just embed your leftists unelected in the executive branch or in the courts and get your agenda done, which is what they're doing every day. So in that sense, there's importance to what you see with the mentality behind the Mueller investigation as it relates to other things. So, for example, and we're going to talk about this more today, you know, a lot of people are basically telling me, you know, whenever I bring up the law on immigration, they're like, well, uh, but yeah, yeah, but Daniel, there's no way the asylum adjudicators at USCIS are going to turn down the credible fear claims. And you, know, you got the immigration judges. And I'm thinking like, what? <laughs> the attorney general controls that. Right, the attorney general can't tell an Article Three judge what to say, but then again, the Article Three judge can't 
tell the attorney general what to do either. But the attorney general could certainly tell immigration judges, which are nothing more than DOJ employees, and certainly USCIS adjudicators, um, no, this is what you are going to be doing. The president controls the executive branch, absolutely. It was something, as I referenced the other day, Madison spoke about in, uh, in June, I think it was June 16th, 20, uh, not 20, 1789, one of the first few months of the functioning of Congress. And, and he, he was, you know, a member of the, of the House at the time, but he was like, look, the president controls executive personnel. But that, that, that's where we're at nowadays. Let's go have the lower courts and executive officials who never even stood for Senate confirmation to upend immigration law. And then you can't take that back. So notice you're seeing a parallel to what they're saying. How dare the attorney general tell the immigration judges uh, what to do with the catch and release? It's the same mentality with how dare he comment on the Mueller investigation? You know, Jerry Nadler and these guys, the you know, chairman of the Democrat chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, they could do what they want from the legislative branch. But what you can't do is is demand that there be a fifth column in the form of a fourth branch of government to do what it wants. So that's that's the obvious lesson we've taken out <laughs> from this all along. <clears throat> but the more fundamental thing for today is this. Now would be the best time for the president to move on. Glo fine, gloat another day, gloat another two days. But after Easter, come Monday and Tuesday, the president should give a speech on the ultimate foreign influence in our country. How foreigners not only influence our country, they control our country. How cartels and smugglers, pursuant to past administrative policies that he in this speech would pledge to end, and the courts now control the destiny of this nation. Who comes in and who doesn't come in? The diseases, the criminals, everything. I'm going to talk today about foreign influence, the ultimate foreign influence. And again, I, I made this point before, but it's a good one, so I'm going to make it again now, a couple weeks later. The president could have his cake and eat it too, by focusing on Mueller, gloating over winning that battle, but also moving on and expending his political capital, saying, hey, you want to talk about foreign influence? Suddenly the Democrats are concerned. They don't want, I mean, America is for Americans. Exactly. How is it that the American people, through their laws that were passed time and again and reiterated in 1996, are suddenly null and void because smugglers and cartels control our border. That's the speech he needs to give. So anyway, I was thinking back, given that, you know, today is the anniversary, April 18th, 1942, of the Doolittle Raid, James Doolittle, Lieutenant Colonel. And 
you know, America was woefully unprepared to combat the Japanese, caught off guard. It was so difficult back then to run long distance bombing raids. And that's why it was, it was, you know, the Japanese planned the attack forever because it was hard for them to do it. They had to get carriers close enough. So how are we going to do it when, you know, meanwhile, they, they were preparing for war forever. And within a couple months, Doolittle concocted this little attack plan. And he felt that a proud nation like America has to have a response. No foreigners could attack this country. So he assembled a crew, 16 B-25s. They took off of the, from the um, USSS Hornet. And it, it was the most insane thing at the time. Now we take it for granted, but you know the biggest issue was fuel. There was no mid-air refueling back then. How in the world were you going to do this? So this was a one-way ticket, nearly a suicide mission, to bomb their targets and land in some sort of airfield in China and hope to get friendly people there to conceal you from the Japanese until you can get back to safety. And by the grace of God, most of them did get back, but, you know, sadly... There were a couple of crews that were lost. A couple were captured and brutally murdered by the Japanese. But um, ultimately, it didn't do that much damage. But it was a morale booster to turbocharge the American people who back then, even 150 years after George Washington, still had that common cause that cohesive culture and society united by a common cause, as George Washington observed in his farewell address. And they quickly prepared for war. And eventually, they were doing it from a position of strength. And eventually, we had Curtis LeMay, one of the greatest American heroes that the left tries to trash, the man who assembled the bombing raids late in the war where they just burned Tokyo to the ground because there was no other choice. And, you know, that was the only way to end the war. And, you know, he is one of the most forgotten heroes. But that that's the type of nation we were back then. I want to talk to you today about the type of nation we are today. And I'm going to do a lot of reading but I think this is important. I woke up this morning and I saw just within a, an hour just d tons of stories of drunk driving, murder, rape, child molestation, sex slaves from illegals that have been able to remain in this country with criminal records. You want to talk about foreign influence. Let's start off with this. This is from a CBP press release last night. Agents have discovered a new tactic 
encounter surveillance as they continue to apprehend large groups and gang members attempting to legally enter the United States. As one agent was monitoring the border at night utilizing an infrared camera, he observed a small airborne object traveling northbound across the U.S. international boundary. The object traveled approximately 100 yards over U.S. soil and then returned back to Mexico. The object repeated this pattern three times. Approximately two minutes later, the object returned back to Mexico for the third time, and a group of 10 subjects made an illegal entry into the U.S. in the same area in which the object had been traveling. All 10 subjects were subsequently taken into custody by Border Patrol agents. This is the first known time in recent history that a drone has been utilized as a lookout in order to aid illegal entries in the El Paso sector. And then they just go on to explain how these same people threw 230 migrants at them at Antelope Wells, New Mexico, 360 at Sutherland Park, another 130 later at night at Antelope Wells, 1,800 people in just the El Paso sector in one day. At the same time, Border Patrol arrested Victor Chavez Ibarra, a 46-year-old Mexican national. During processing, it was revealed that Chavez is a known gang member. They found that his criminal history in America includes two felony convictions for illegal reentry into the U.S., conviction for burglary of a vehicle in Houston, and arrest for burglary, possession of cocaine, and fel- felony burglary. The same a- that, that same day, agents in southern New Mexico apprehended a Salvadoran national who was found to be a member of a dangerous Central American gang. In a separate group of illegal aliens, there was another Salvadoran national had a felony conviction from 2014 for contact with a minor for sexual offense. There's a heck of a lot of them. What they're trying to show here is that you basically have cartels and smugglers now surveilling our border, using military-style tactics to get in their people, and the migrants are their tool, they, they are their weapons of war to get in these really bad guys. These are the ones they caught, but as we well know, that means there's so many more we don't catch. So this notion, before we even get into laws and statutes, even without the fact that they're wrong on asylum law and immigration law, but just from a war, border, sovereignty, foreign affairs standpoint, how when a group of the most evil people alive are able to weaponize mass migration as a tactic, and we as a nation... Are, have allowed this to go on in this intensity, we allowed it to go on for a while, in this intensity for about a year. Under this administration, and there's still no signs of fundamentally putting an end to this. That is foreign influence. You want to talk about foreign influence? Can you imagine? Them allowing something like that. Obviously, you know, you didn't have drones back then in 1942, but allowing this to happen? Let me continue talking about foreign influence. This is in Omaha, Nebraska. Omaha.com. Authorities arrest several Omaha gang members linked to refugee community. Several Omaha gang members, Omaha gang members, okay? 
This is not New York, Chicago, L.A. This is the heartland. Omaha gang members accused of violent crimes, drug sales, and robberies were arrested Wednesday by federal and local law enforcement officers. Five gang members were arrested. Another six gang members already in custody were charged with federal crimes. One other person is being sought. Most of the gang members had ties to the Tripset gang, which is primarily made up of youths. Youths from the refugee community. Mainly those of Sudanese descent, officials said. The Tripset gang has become prevalent in Omaha over the past three years, the U.S. Attorney's Office said, with about 150 gang members and associates. The gangs make money through credit card fraud, drug sales, and violent crimes such as robbery, home invasions, and burglaries. From June to October 2018, officials said that the gang was involved in six assaults. Obviously, there were tons of weapons charged, and Sudanese refugees started coming to Omaha about 20 years ago. The city has one of the largest populations of South Sudanese in the United States. Do, do, do you understand? These utter bastards in the media and political class want to lecture us about Oh, people fleeing the Holocaust and denying refugee, and we're letting in the persecutors? The heartland of America that never knew this stuff. You know, I always said that um, for many years, Nebraska was number 50, was ranked 50 in terms of drug overdoses. They never had drug problems. And now we brought this garbage in through both the illegal immigrants from Latin America with the meatpacking plants and the cheap labor, and then evidently... I didn't even know about this. Sudanese refugees. That, folks, is your foreign influence. That is what we're dealing with today. I wish, I wish we had an army of conservative bloggers, noisemakers, talkers. The same way they're trying to get their two minutes of fame on Mueller. Investigating and incessantly making a national issue of all these stories. I, If I had a team, I'm, I'm a man of one. I don't even have an intern. I don't have anything. And, you know, I want to kind of give you a lot of things. So I just don't have the ability to sometimes take these things further. I have some requests to ice in. I'm trying to gradually establish contacts. It's very difficult. If I had a staff of 20 people, I could assign so many investigative stories to expand on narratives that we know are true. If the American people would know the degree of problems that we have from foreign nationals in this country, we, w- we would have a different, different world. And what's so sad is that we, we do still have a percentage of immigrants who come in, not just legally, but also, you know, coming to for, 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 for the American cause, not for welfare. And what sort of America are you bequeathing to them? What's the point? You know, I'm obviously in a bad mood because... I put out a two-part series we're going to link to in show notes 
on the clear and present danger of hundreds of thousands of illegals that incontrovertibly in their source areas are not vaccinated, are prone to numerous diseases for which there are vaccines for, as well as things like Zika, dengue, fever, malaria, other stuff where there are no vaccinations for. Two long articles. To my knowledge, it is the deepest, most well-sourced connecting the dots of of this uh, healthcare crisis from illegal immigration that has been done on the web. I could be wrong about that. Very few people will know about it. I'm going to try to get it to the right people. But of course, you know, Murphy's Law. I mean, it's my fault. Maybe I should put it out next week. But it's Mueller. And look, there's a lot more where this comes from. I just, you know, I wanted to, I felt I had enough to put out this iteration of it and I hope to build on it. But it's tough. I don't have access to a lot of things, a lot of the right people. No one in the government will talk to me. I have never in my lifetime seen a more concerted effort, meaning as badly as they cover up illegal alien crime, which they do, the disease thing is just like, that's a total no-fly zone. But you know what? You know what? It takes brains. It takes hard work. It's a lot easy just to jump in on the Mueller news cycle. And again, I'm fine if someone wants to do it the day of the big news today, a couple weeks ago when it came out. But it's always like this. It's always like this. So that's the other thing. You want to talk about foreign influence. Our laws, the ultimate foreign influence is diseases. When when you as a country eradicate diseases, you have to make sure you don't bring it in. Essential tenet since the colonial times. We are more regressive We are more rudimentary in our defense against external contagious diseases being brought in than we were 100, 130 years ago. It's unbelievable considering the medical advances and the size of the gap between America health-wise and these other countries. Meaning relative to the great wave, America itself was still had these diseases. It is just amazing to me. So I documented not just Latin America, but we have people coming from Congo and Cameroon, Sri Lanka. 50 countries just in the Rio Grande Valley sector this fiscal year, according to the chief patrol agent there, testified before Senate government. Um, Homeland Security Committee two weeks ago. 50 countries full of these diseases. So what I accomplished was using government's own sources and own comments to prove that they are not being vaccinated. 
They absolutely are not being vaccinated. They absolutely are not being screened out. And they absolutely have these outbreaks in those countries. And these absolutely are the most prone people to them. Yesterday, the Senate Homeland Security Advisory Council, bipartisan commission of, traditionally they were kind of Democrats and bushy open borders people. Okay, so this is not like, it wasn't the sheriffs who put this out. They put out their preliminary report on the crisis. And they say what I'm saying. So in case you think, now they might have a different motivation, like, oh, we need to do more for the health of the illegals. But in doing so, they're admitting blatantly, they're confirming what I say there. Incontrovertibly clear. That they are being released. And in fact, what they confirmed is that according to them, a majority of those being released are being released directly by Border Patrol, not even going into ICE custody. I was trying to say still majority are ICE custody, and it could be ICE is still vaccinating or vetting out you know, diseases. Border Patrol certainly isn't because they don't have that capability. But they have confirmed that most of them now are being released by Border Patrol, never making it to ICE. This is a brand new report. And what they note is that 73% of the children coming are under the age of 12. Think about that. Children under the age of 12 from the indigenous population in the jungles of Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, but also Nicaragua. Got malaria there. Haiti, you have cholera in Haiti. A lot of Haitians are coming. Typhoid. It's inconceivable that it's not a problem. So they confirm this. They say here, children who are crossing the borders of the U.S. are at great risk for multiple medical problems, which include but are not limited to dehydration, malnutrition, infections, psychological trauma, physical injuries, and all aspects of child maltreatment. Many of these sequelae are not necessarily evident within the context of a non-medical evaluation. Notice what they're saying. They're saying my point. Like, yeah, if you see someone like with measles all over them, mumps all over them, yeah, they're going to deal with that. And hopefully you would think they're still going to quarantine them. But their point is a lot of this is not evident. And that's the point I was making. I was the first one to make that point. I'm I'm thankful this came out a day before um, I did final edits on this piece. They continue. An expectation for clinical acumen by CBP agents and officers is highly unrealistic. Even medical personnel need to have a higher level of expertise to anticipate some of the potential infectious disease complications that can be found in this population of children. It is unrealistic to have doctors at every U.S. Border Patrol station where a large group of families may or may not show up on a given day. And then they, they basically go on to say how we need to create these, you know, three or four throughout the border of these um, facilities that are essentially like tent cities, like I'm talking about, where Border Patrol could get them there within an hour. And they say an examination room should be made available for these providers and equipped appropriately to include exam tables and equipment design to prevent the transmission 
of communicable diseases. <laughs> Notice they're saying that that's something we do not currently have. They're, that's what they're advising. So meaning they admitted, see, you know, DHS will tell you, oh my gosh, we're spending all this time in, on, on treating them. Yet yeah, you're right, you are, which is stealing from the American people because that's not what Border Patrol is for. But what they're not doing is screening out communicable diseases with an ironclad backstop quarantined demarcation line that you cannot cross that and we will not release anyone until we're sure. In fact, they're releasing everyone within 24, 48 hours the most vulnerable populations in the entire world. The problem is when all these outbreaks happen, you're never going to know about it in the news, except for the ones that definitively were from other sources, like you know groups of anti-vaxxers in America who travel abroad. But like that's the point. If you have an anti-vaxxer American that travels to Guatemala, I mean, the medical establishment will go nuts on you. Are you, you, you piece of garbage? But yet if you have hundreds of thousands from the source areas themselves, children brought up in the most unsanitary conditions, never had access to any health care, not just vaccinations, come here and get released within 24, 48 hours. They're like, shut up. You're slandering these people, these good immigrants. How dare you make that allegation? Like, are you kidding me? Like, all this talk about the anti-vaxxers, and, and believe me, I look, I am not a fan of them. But I'm just saying they're, they're actually magnifying the veracity of my point. If even those that were brought up with, you know, American standards of healthcare, albeit they elected not to get vaccinated, are at such a danger... Of, of bringing this garbage in by traveling one time, you can imagine if you bring in Guatemala itself, you bring in Congo itself, you bring in Haiti itself. And again, like I said, there's one thing if you had a system where you would hold them for 30 days and do blood tests and, you know, whatever, but they're doing the exact opposite. Sorry, it's proven right on that. Talk about foreign influence. The president needs to blow this wide open. And again, like, where, where is Tom Cotton even? I'm sorry. I like him. I'm friends with his staff. I'm just like, remember when we had the Gang of Eight? Sessions was like a one-man think tank. I know people have different views. Some people think it was too weak as attorney general. Let, let's just go back in time to when he was senator. It was nonstop he harped on these things. It helped us defeat the Gang of Eight. Where is a single senator talking about this stuff? Where is a single anyone? Let's go on to some more foreign influence. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, my gosh. I was about to say one story, and then another one just pops up literally in my feed right here. Brand new press release from Border Patrol. Man convicted of first-degree murder in Maryland arrested by Border Patrol. On Tuesday, U.S. Border Patrol agents near Naco, Arizona, apprehended a man present in the country illegally who had been previously convicted for murder in Baltimore, Maryland, my own hometown. Agents from the Brian A. Terry Station patrolling near the international border apprehended two men who illegally entered the country during records checks at the station. Agents identified 37-year-old Nahum Rivas Rivera, convicted in 2006 of first-degree murder, 
in Baltimore, Maryland, where he served one year in prison. Jeez. <laughs> oh, one year in prison before being deported. This was Rivas's third known attempt to reenter the United States since his arrest in 2006. Yep. This is what's coming in. While we... Uh... I, I, I mean, this alone... How the president can't give a speech and say, the statute says whenever I believe it's detrimental to our interests, I could shut down all immigration. This particular asylum is being used by the cartels to bring in the worst people. It ties down 40 to 60% of our agents. I mean, make the case and do it. Don't telegraph your punch. Don't float the idea and not do it. Do it before floating the idea. Foreign influence. Foreign influence. We have as much sovereignty over our country as a, as a baby has sovereignty over his own body. There's nothing left to us. There is nothing left. But let me go on. Let me go on to some more stories. Now, I don't have all the details other than what was reported in, um, you know, in, in the local media. But um, let's see where to start here. It's a lot going on. I have about four days. Every, every minute, there, there's more of this. And none of this gets reported. None of this. So this is one out of New Jersey. An illegal immigrant from Mexico got pulled over this week in Ohio with a 15-year-old girl who turned out to be a child sex slave from New Jersey, according to cops. Juan Carlos Morales Pedraza, 33, is accused of abducting the teen in Patterson, New Jersey, and sexually assaulting her. He was on his way to Chicago when a state trooper stopped him Tuesday on the Ohio Turnpike for a failure to move over violation. Uh, uh, to, to move over violation, cops said. This is New York Post. Um, during the stop, um, Ohio State Police say the officer noticed a young female riding with an older male. Police say it was also confirmed that the man had forced the girl to perform acts on him and that the girl was being taken to Chicago from New Jersey. Um, it wasn't until authorities entered the teen's information to the police database that they discovered she had been listed as missing. State officials told reporters that Morales Pedraza had been living in the U.S. illegally and was previously deported. <sighs> so I'm, I, I have, um, you know, a media request in to get more information on his background. Let's see what else we got here. Oh, this is this is lovely. Yeah, real, real, real lovely here. Um, again, a 33-year-old immigrant living in the country illegally has been charged with raping a seven-year-old girl. On Thursday, Culpeper Sheriff's detectives arrested Oscar Ramirez, 33, of Culpeper, for the rape of a seven-year-old girl, which reportedly occurred between April 6th and April 7th. Okay, this is CBS 6 local affiliate. Ramirez was charged with one count of rape of a child less than 13 years of age and was taken into custody without incident. Um, on Friday, an ICE agent responded to the Culpeper jail to place a detainer on Ramirez for failing to report for an immigration hearing in 2006. He failed to report for an immigration hearing in 2006. 
Why why do they have immigration hearings? Why failed to report? Why wasn't he deported? I'm going to get to that in a minute. He will be deported to his home country of El Salvador after his legal proceedings in Culpeper are completed and any potential prison sentence has been served. Culpeper County. We know that northern Virginia near D.C. is a cesspool, but you know this is a nice rural area. See what I'm driving at? Urban areas already were overrun. Now, like just like with Nebraska, I mean, it's every county in this country. That's another thing, by the way. Um, in this uh, Homeland Security Advisory Council report, they talked about the fact that you know, whereas in previous migrations it was mainly clustered around the border. I've said this before. This one, they they, they have gone to forty-two states, forty-two states. Everywhere. Now I want to talk to you about two more Americans who were killed due to illegals this week. And you'll never know about it. No one will know about it. Because we don't have a conservative media that's focused. Debbie Burgess of Knoxville, Tennessee... And um, Mark J. O'Gara of St. Paul. So let's talk about this. Let's start with the St. Paul story. A 19-year-old man has been charged with felony drunken driving for striking another car in St. Paul last week and killing the other driver. According to charges, Jose Vasquez Gillian of St. Paul was charged Wednesday in Ramsey County District Court with criminal vehicular, vehicular homicide in connection with the crash. On April 3rd, okay, so it was the week before, south of St. Paul Downtown Airport near Concord and Page Streets, Mark J. Ogera, 52 of St. Paul, died at the scene. Two days after the crash, Vasquez Gillian left the Ramsey County Jail and was arrested by ICE. Vasquez Gillian, a citizen of El Salvador, entered the country illegally at age 15 in January 2016. And a federal judge seven months later ordered him deported. Ice spokesman Sean Nudier said Thursday, the deportation order came after Vasquez Gillian failed to appear for his immigration hearing. Again, we see a dreamer. These are exactly the people coming in. So they're going to talk about all oh, the poor children. What they'll never talk about, never trace back for you is how many of them go on to commit crimes and kill Americans. This is one that came in 2016. Why wasn't he deported right away? This whole thing, oh, a federal judge has ordered him deported. We need a federal judge ordered. You don't need a judge to order them deported. This is the whole problem. You wait for this, and they, the judges either let them go, or even if they don't, by then, so, so this was an abstentia. I got that out of ICE, so that's why they didn't have him. This is unbelievable. Ojero was born on Christmas Day, 1966, and a St. Paul Central High School graduate left behind a wife, 10 children, and six grandchildren. A father of 10 children. Talk about separating in the grave. 
separating families. This 15-year-old child who came in successfully separated an American from his 10 children. That, my friend, is foreign influence. And there's one more. This is WVLT, Knoxville, Tennessee. And I will note what's truly tragic here is that in this story, you're going to see the Knoxville fire chief is quoted, you know, giving sympathy for the family. Do you know who the Knoxville fire chief is? He's the guy who had his son killed by an illegal alien drunk driver just a couple months ago. So, I mean, just in a place like, again, we're not talking about like, you know, New York, LA, Chicago, Phoenix. We're talking about Knoxville, Culpeper, Nebraska. Two DUI murders in a couple of weeks. So much so that the same, you know, fire chief is quoted in the story. Um, anyways, the WVLT, Knoxville Police Department is searching for a suspect in a fatal hit and run on April 8th, 2019. KPD said it is searching uh, for Juan Francisco, who authorities said was driving a 1998 Dodge pickup truck in the vicinity of Custom Foods at 3600 Pleasant Ridge Road when he struck the victim, Debbie Burgess, with his vehicle. Burgess died as a result of the incident, and, and KPD said Francisco fled the scene. Francisco has a history of criminal offenses, including a DUI in 2017 and reckless driving in, 20, in 2004. Homeland Security tells WVLT that Francisco's immigration status has not changed since his arrest in 2002. So that seems to mean he was arrested at the border in 2002, Again, let in at least two other arrests afterwards. Oh, no, I'm sorry. At the time, he was charged with theft. And the warrant says he was an undocumented immigrant without proper paperwork. Theft, reckless driving, DUI, three times. Wasn't turned over. And they quote, of course, DJ Cochran, the father whose son was killed in December after an illegal alien crossed into oncoming traffic, hitting his son's car. This is the story even conservative media won't tell you. Drunk driving. Child molesting. Rape. Murder. Diseases. Oh, we really need to change the laws, Daniel. How many times do I have to say for crying out loud... The laws do not need to be changed. We passed the laws already. Let me reiterate for you. Let me reiterate for you something. In 1996, Congress passed expedited removal. It wasn't an exception. It was the rule. Every illegal, every illegal anywhere in the country at any time 
is supposed to be deported immediately unless they could prove that they had continuous residence in the country for two years, then they could be referred to a hearing before an immigration judge before being deported. Otherwise, anyone who comes in now and anyone that has come in the last two years, basically since Trump's presidency, right now, he could remove anyone without the oversight of even an immigration judge, much less an Article Three judge. That is the law. Passed unanimously by the Senate, signed by Bill Clinton. It just was never implemented. Never implemented. A lot of people don't realize this, but President Trump, I guess this is one of the stuff that was immediately inspired by Stephen Miller. President Trump in... Uh, it was like five days. Yeah, it was January 25th, 2017, five days after his inauguration. He issued an executive order on immigration. And a lot of people don't realize what it was. Section 11C of that order. It's very, very uh, inconspicuous to most people that don't know immigration law but it read as follows. Pursuant to section 235B1A31 of the INA, the secretary shall take appropriate action to apply in his sole and unreviewable discretion the provisions of section 235B1A1 and 2 of the INA to the aliens designated under section 235B1A32. So, no, it doesn't say the word in there, but that's expedited removal. In other words, you should apply it everywhere. They barely apply it anymore. Barely apply it anymore. It is really, truly sad. All of this could, be, could have been prevented. Do you understand had the administration actually implemented this? Do, do you know how many aliens have come in this country. So we've we've caught, I don't know, I mean, well over a million since that order was issued but not actually followed through with. Well over a million aliens have come to this country, have been apprehended, much less the ones that came but were never apprehended, but, you know, we come across. Every one of them should have been immediately out of the country. We wouldn't have had a crisis. And that was before this whole bogus asylum. And again, for the 50th time, among the other reasons why this is prima facie bogus asylum, and we should never have to deal with it, and it's an invasion, and there's 212F, and inherent Article 2 power to shut it off anyway. But even if you want to just follow the baseline laws and not invoke 212F, it doesn't take you out of expedited removal unless you approve of their credible fear. But if you're doing that, you are lawless because we admit that they're, none of them are credible fear. And it's the sole discretion, the sole discretion of the administration. So 
sole discretion of the administration. It's unbelievable. That's it. That is it. You still don't have access to an immigration judge to overturn your deportation. The only thing you have access to an immigration judge is to appeal the denial of the credible fear determination itself. But as I told you before, two things about that. Number one, you shall be detained. You must be detained. Kid or not kid or otherwise. And number two, it must be done within 24 hours and no later than seven days. But again, an immigration judge getting back to what we started out with with Mueller is not some rogue thing that could do what he wants. The attorney general and the DHS secretary could get together. DHS secretary controls USCIS adjudicators at the front end. The um, DOJ controls the appeals at EOR. Yeah, I know. It's a stupid dumpster fire. <laughs> Just think about how stupid. Like the, the baseline is DHS and the uh, appellate level is at the, uh, the, the DOJ. Stupidity. And um, that's it. So in other words, you understand that Congress gave the tools to deny all this. So it's a trick question. Question: Theoretically, asylum request is an exception to expedited removal. But the power to block credible fear and tamp down immediately the appeal of that determination is solely in the hands of the administration. And once they would properly use that to deny it, then it goes back to their inexpedited removal and they get removed without any further hearing before an immigration judge, much less an Article 3 judge. Let me read you the Congressional Research Service explaining expedited removal and the lack of judicial jurisdiction over it. The jurisdictional bar, meaning a jur- like that Congress barred the courts, but even the immigration courts, from hearing any appeals, right? Jurisdiction bar applies to claims that an immigration officer improperly placed an alien in expedited removal proceedings. Challenges to an immigration officer's credible fear determination. Arguments challenging the procedures and policies implemented by DHS to expedite removal and claims contesting the expedited removal order itself. <laughs> so think about that. You can't say, well, Dana, I know you could do expedited removal, but, but you didn't do it right here. Or, uh, I, I don't like your determination or you didn't, you, you're too mean about it. No, C- Congress in the statute explicitly wa- closed every loophole you can. The only things they said is if you have a claim that you have a green card or citizenship, then yeah, you you, you get to go in front of a court to determine that. Or if you claim a credible fear and you're approved, then you're sent on a different track. But if you're but but they have the power to not approve it, and once they do that. Your expedited removal, and you can't militate against the expedited removal, even if you had a credible fear determination once it's turned down. I, I, I just don't know what more to say. 
who he did this in 96. Another thing, you know, I, I was talking to a friend about this because there was an article about 18 states allowing in-state tuition. Did you know that the same IRA, IRA, 1996 immigration reform law, it bars states from granting in-state tuition rates that aren't given to out-of-state Americans to foreign nationals. Talk about foreign influence. They do it anyway. We need to change the laws, Daniel. We did that in 96. And again, remember, remember, we got out the Nicaraguans right away in 1989 before IRA-IRA. We had Operation Wetback without any judicial lawfare in 1954, long before 1996. And we're told that even after 1996's law, we can't do this? Look, if I'm the only one asserting this, I'm one small person. But if I were ever sure about one thing in life, it's it's immigration law. It's so sad. Expedited removal is the key. The Supreme Court time and again has upheld j- just this term. A number of cases, you know, the Supreme Court is like, yeah, expedited removal, you know, unless you have... You know, unless you have a claim of being a citizen or or LPR, you're, there, there's no review. Just this term. I mean, it's been reiterated by the Supreme Court t- tons of times. Meaning, it's not just that the court, that, that the administration is kowtowing to illegal um, orders from lower courts violating Supreme Court precedent. They're not even asserting and doing the things that the courts haven't yet screwed with. Now, I'm sure if you do this, of course, they're going to put an injunction on because th- there's no the laws don't matter anymore, just like they're, they've already been doing. But I'm saying they won't even push up against and try it. It's the law. I know what more to tell you guys. Either we want to combat the foreign influence or not. The officer shall order the alien removed from the U.S. without further hearing or review unless the alien indicates either an intention to apply for asylum or a fear of persecution. But then, like I said, of course, so so again, first of all, we're not even doing this to the thousands that aren't a certain credible fear. They're like, like we said. But even those, again, you just turn down the appeal, the, the the determination. You just say no, um, negative. They could they could have an IJ within seven days to review that. But once you 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 close that, then then it's over. That track is done. You're back on the track for ER expedited removal, and then that's it. There's nothing left. So even when it comes to credible fear and asylum. You never have access to Article Three courts. It's not just incidentally. The laws were passed explicitly for this purpose. Like, you couldn't have been more clear. It's not just like some random, like, statute. <laughs> this was the, the, the whole enchilada. It was a massive part of the, of the contract with America. Again, let's look at the regulation that was written pursuant to um, this statute, 8 CFR 235.3. 
the burden of proof on the alien to has to to establish to the satisfaction of the immigration officer, not judge, immigration officer, that they have been physically present in the United States continuously for a two-year period. That's the only limitation. Who gets to decide that? Quote, the commissioner, that was the commissioner of the INS, now it would be DHS secretary, shall have the sole discretion to apply the provisions of Section 235B1 of the Act at any time to any class of aliens described in the section. We just never followed it. We never followed it. All they would have to do is issue a 90-day notice in the Federal Register to write a new regulation pursuant to expedited removal to say that they're going to apply it everywhere. And um, and that's it. Quote, such designation, meaning designating groups for expedited removal, shall be in the sole and unreviewable discretion of the Attorney General and may be modified at any time. That's the statute. Meaning at any point, they could expand expedited removal to anyone they want. Any illegal they want. Okay? The only limitation is if they have demonstrated proof to the satisfaction of the immigration officer that they resided continuously for two years. Meaning, the way I would read the statute is like, theoretically, let's say the, the guy showed, I don't know, um, showed something that is pretty hard to show too. And, and, and by the way, Congress knew that, which is why they wrote the law that way and put the burden of proof on the, on the alien. Let's say they showed that they were in the country for five years. But that discretion, if I'm not satisfied that I think you this is truthful, I could turn you down and throw you away. Or you say, well, Daniel, Daniel, well, um, but then then you could re review it, right? But then then a court could get involved. No. No, that that's the whole point. Because otherwise you're taking away the status. Because then see, this is what this is what the courts are doing now. They'll get involved and say, hey, well, you know, let's say they show one month. They don't even show more than two months. And the guy's like, no, this is nonsense. Well, I'll take it to court. No, I believe this demonstrates two years. That would void out the whole purpose of jurisdiction stripping. Because then you could always second guess the second guess. You could say, well, yeah, I understand these guys are unreviewable, but who says he's one of these guys? Maybe he's the exception. Right? It would void out the whole thing. It's all discretionary. Meaning, if I'm an immigration officer and I genuinely feel that you are here for this time, I could refer you to an IJ. Hey, you know what? You've been here for a while. Okay, let's hear your case a little bit more. You go to an IJ. But if I really want to be a battle axe and say, look, you're screwing with our country. I know you're here illegally. That's for sure. You're not legal. And you seem to have evidence that you're here for five years. I'll say maybe you're lying. You're out of here anyway. That is not reviewable. 
And that's what, why CRS wrote it. The CRS said that it was like, there, there's nothing. No limitations. Anyway, folks, that is the true foreign influence nobody wants to talk about. You know, we're approaching holiday weekend. Easter for, for Christians, Passover for Jews. I'll likely uh, get out early tomorrow on Friday, so I'm not sure if um, I'll have a show out tomorrow. But if assuming this is the last one of the week, I wish you guys a blessed Easter, Christians, and for our Jewish audience, happy Passover. Hope it's a meaningful weekend to rejuvenate our spirituality, our connection with God. And let's pray that God gives us some sort of light to see how we could open up people's eyes and truly preserve his blessings and his divine providence for this country that was so evident from day one and allow us to make this country better in a way that we're deserving of God's endless blessings. Thank you all. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.